God is our helper. How does he help us? Well, lots of ways, but one of the key ones is he speaks to us by his word, and that's where we're going to turn now, to 1 Samuel 23, and we'll start from verse 14. Before we do, let me lead us in prayer. Father, we thank you that you are a helper. Thank you that we can pray for those serving you across the world, and we can pray for ourselves now that as we read your word and Robin preaches on it later, that you would help us, you would strengthen us, encourage us, cause us not to lose heart, not now and not for the rest of our lives. Please, Lord, speak to us in your word and please give us the open ears and soft hearts we need to accept what you say. In Jesus' name, amen. So 1 Samuel 23 on page 246 of the church Bibles, starting at verse 14. And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul my father also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horesh, and Jonathan went home. Then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horesh, on the hill of Hakila, which is south of Jeshimon? Now come down, O king, according to all your heart's desire to come down, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. And Saul said, May you be blessed by the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Go, make yet more sure. Know and see the place where his foot is, and who has seen him there, for it is told me that he is very cunning. See, therefore, and take note of all the lurking places where he hides, and come back to me with sure information. Then I will go with you, and if he's in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. And they arose and went to Ziph, ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the Arabah to the south of Jeshimon. And Saul and his men went to seek him, and David was told. So he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore that place was called the Rock of Escape. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of Engedi.
Now this morning we take a break from 1 Timothy um, because of half term and turn with me or turn back to 1 Samuel 23 verses 14 to 29, an episode in the life of David, God's chosen king. And along with that, if you dig out the service sheet and the back page of that with some notes on it. I want to waggle a little bit on the tea and to try to help us to see, before we begin with the text, just what this passage is saying to us. Now, you'll see the title on the back page of the sheet. Jesus did not lose heart, therefore we do not lose heart. Now, how do we get from David the passage Rog read to Jesus. Now, the answer to that is because David is God's chosen king whose life prefigures his greater son, God's chosen Messiah, the Lord Jesus. But David is a flesh and blood believer. He is and we can learn from his life and experiences, and rightly so. But more importantly, most importantly, David's life points us to the life of the Lord Jesus. Now, that doesn't turn a sermon or a talk on an Old Testament story like this into an academic lecture that points out the different ways this text points us to Jesus. What it should do, if it's handled rightly, is take us to a deeper reservoir of spiritual resources, to the person in whom all our strength and confidence and encouragement is to be found, the Lord Jesus. Now think on it like this. As you find yourself, or if you currently find yourself, for whatever reason, close to or at the point of losing heart, or indeed even beyond that, you have lost heart. Think on it like this. David did not lose heart, therefore we do not lose heart. David, a flesh and blood believer, in the depths found a renewed confidence in God, and so logically, therefore, can we. David, this flesh and blood believer, came through difficult circumstances, and so can we. And there is help in that as you look on at the life of a believer who has come through difficult circumstances with their strength in the Lord intact, that is an inspiration to us and a fruitful line of help for us this morning. But richer and stronger than that, richer and stronger than the fact that David, this flesh and blood believer, did not lose heart, is the fact that the Lord Jesus did not lose heart that he experienced temptation and came through it, that he experienced deep sorrow and came through it, 
that he experienced suffering and came through it, and that he experienced death and came through it. And the living, resurrected, reigning Christ lives in you, in the person of his Spirit. And so because Jesus did not lose heart, and he lives in you, in the person of his Spirit, Therefore, you do not lose heart. Drawing on the example of another flesh and blood believer is one thing. Drawing on the indwelling spirit of the Lord Jesus within you is another. I find the words at the beginning of 2 Peter encouraging Jesus Divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things that pertain to life and godliness embraces our resources in Jesus such that we do not lose heart because he did not lose heart. And therefore, it is no academic exercise and nor should be getting from an Old Testament story to Jesus. It is the intention behind the inspiration of God's word that all is fulfilled in him. It is the very best application of any Bible reading or Bible talking or Bible sermon that we find our way to Jesus not as a picture on the wall of how this text points to him, but to the living Christ who lives within us. Now, I love, as you know, if you are regular, William Gladsby's hymn, Immortal Honours, Rest on Jesus' Head. It is my number one funeral hymn for myself, and I recommend it for all of you. Just listen to this hymn on the basis of this theological truth that because Jesus did not lose heart, therefore we do not lose heart. Listen to it on the basis that the spirit of the resurrected reigning Christ is in you. Immortal honors rest on Jesus' head. My God, my portion, and my living head. In him I love, upon him cast my care. He saves from death, destruction, and despair. He is my refuge in each deep distress. The Lord is my strength and my glorious righteousness. Through floods and flames, he leads me safely on and daily makes his sovereign goodness known. My every need he richly will supply, nor will his mercy ever let me die. In him there dwells a treasure all divine, and matchless grace has made that treasure mine. Now my job this morning from this passage in Samuel and the Psalm is to convince us, not as an aspiration, not even as a promise, 
but a factual certainty that because the Lord Jesus did not lose heart, we will not lose heart. That's what uh, Gladsby is getting at when he writes, my every need he richly will supply, his mercy will never let me die. Now let's turn to the text of 1 Samuel and the first overarching title, The King Did Not Lose Heart. Notice in the first place the king's discouragement. 1 Samuel chapters 16 through 31 describe what is often referred to as David's outlaw experience. David, God's chosen king, is a fugitive on the run from Saul, the king he would replace. And Saul's heart burns with envy and malice, intent on hunting down David and killing him. It is a difficult time for David. It seems the king must suffer before he is crowned. And chapter 23 is right in the middle of this time. David is weary and discouraged, close to losing heart. Now we get that from the text. Just read with me verse 15. Saul sought him every day. And a more literal translation would be day after day after day after day. Saul searched for him. No let up. No days off from this relentless pursuit. And the incident immediately before the passage Rog read must have greatly discouraged David. Earlier in chapter 23, uh, the incident is recorded where David uh, sees the town of Keilah being attacked by the Philistines and he prays to God, verse 2 of chapter 23, as to what he should do. And God's answer is to go and attack the Philistines and save the town of Keilah and its people. David's own men say to him, David, don't be daft. It's risky. Things are bad enough here in Judah. Let's not walk straight into the enemy's uh, territory. But David prays to God again, gets a clear answer. And so he goes with his men to Keilah. God is with them and they save the town, save the people. David did what God said in spite of all those who said he was wrong, and God was with him. And God made it absolutely clear he was with him because he sent Abiathar the high priest with the ephod. Now, we could just expand on ephods. What it meant was that if you came as the high priest with the ephod to be with David where he was, it was a very, very strong sign from the Lord that God is with you. I'm with you. Saul hears that David, verse 8 of chapter 23, is in Keilah and sets off to the town to besiege David and his men. When David learns that Saul is plotting against him, he asks the Lord through the high priest if the people of Keilah will betray him to Saul. Verse 10, then said David, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, yes. Now that must have taken the wind out of David. I mean, after all, God had sent him there. And now God is going to say, well, they're going to betray you. The people you've just delivered that I sent you to deliver. 
Surely not. And so David asked the Lord again, verse 12, Will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hands of Saul? And the Lord said, Yes. And so verse 13, David and his men, 600 of them arose and departed, and they went wherever they could go. That means they went from pillar to post. They were, they were just ducking and diving to try and evade Saul and his armies. David, verse 14, remained in the strongholds in the wilderness. The king in the wilderness. Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. And so weary, perplexed, and discouraged David must have been. Weary, perplexed, and discouraged at Saul, and weary, perplexed, and discouraged with God. What is God doing? He's contradicting himself, it seems. Things are at a low ebb for David, and they get worse. Just look ahead to verse 19. The Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horish, on the hill of Hakalah, which is south of Jeshimon? Come down, O king, according to all your heart's desire to come down, and our and, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. And Saul said, May you be blessed by the Lord. So on and so forth. Let's pick up from verse 22. Go make you yet more sure. Know and see the place where his foot is and who has seen him there. For it is told me that he is very cunning. That's Saul, uh, the pot calling the kettle black. See therefore... And take note of all the lurking places where David is, where he hides, and come back to me with such information. Then I will go with you, if he is in the land. Now, who were the Ziphites? There's a question for trivial pursuit. The Ziphites are members of David's own family. The tribe of David. The tribe of Judah. And I wonder when David discovered that, there would be the kind of silence that we just almost distant from this felt that this must have really discouraged him deeply in his heart. David, God's chosen king, is discouraged, weary, and close to losing heart. And so was the Lord Jesus, God's Messiah king, plotted against, a fugitive, betrayed, Did the Lord Jesus ever come close to losing heart? Well, let me read to you from Mark's Gospel. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled in his heart. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. The king, deeply discouraged and close to losing heart. Second, the encouragement given by God, verses 15 to 18. They are precious uh, verses. Let me read them for us. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. 
David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul my father also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horish, and Jonathan went home. Now the friendship between David and Jonathan is one of the best examples in the Bible of committed fellowship between believers. I discovered recently in the North Transept, which is that one, a David and Jonathan window. I have a, or had a close friend who died earlier this year, and I had the privilege of taking part in his funeral. And he would write to me from time to time and quote these verses. I mean, he was an old man. He was 90 when he died. He would quote these verses from 1 Samuel 23 or another example of friendship in David and Jonathan's life. And I was practicing the talk for the funeral through there where the lectern stays or it was there that week. And I looked up, and there in front of me, the David and Jonathan window. So go and look at it after coffee. There was a crowd round it. You may have wondered why after the first service. It is striking that Saul cannot find David, but Jonathan, David's friend, did find him. Jonathan went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. Literally, put his hand into God's hand. How? By reminding David of God's promise that he will be king, that his coronation will come. Even though he is experiencing this time of suffering, he will be king. So Jonathan said to him, do not be afraid, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul my father also knows this. Now that is selfless friendship. The heir to the throne, the son of Saul, gives up his right because David is God's chosen king. Verse 18 is very poignant. These two close friends renewed their covenant with one another before the Lord. They parted, and they would never see each other again. Jonathan would soon die at his father's side in battle in the David and Jonathan window through there, the bottom part of the window shows David mourning the loss of his friend, Jonathan. Now, in service one, we were fortunate to have a newborn called Jonathan, which helps, and a visitor whose little baby was called Jonathan. The name Jonathan means given by God. Jonathan was given by God to David in his life to strengthen his hand in God, to encourage him. At this point in David's life, when he was close to losing heart, God encouraged him by giving him help. 
In this case, it was Jonathan. But the point is, given by God. Help given by God. How was the Lord Jesus strengthened in the Garden of Gethsemane? By his Father. Help given by God. He prayed to his Father and his Father strengthened him. Jesus prayed to his Father at the point he was close to losing heart and his Father strengthened him. Now, there are many things that we do not share in common with Jesus. One of them we do. We are children of God as Jesus is the Son of God and Jesus prayed to his Father for help when he was close to losing heart. And we can do just the same through Jesus' name when we are close to losing heart. And our experience, like the Lord Jesus, is that the Father strengthens us, helps us in our time of need, gives to us that supernatural peace that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And you're sitting there thinking, does he? Let me ask you to look back over your life and how God has sustained you through times of need. Think back to times when you were close to losing heart in your life as a Christian. And you're here. And God has sustained you. God has strengthened you. I don't think that in our time of need, when we pray, God flicks a switch and the peace of God begins to reign in our minds and hearts. I think time and perspective and remembering Some of you will have many more memories to draw on than others. For those of you who are young, you may have memories like this that strengthen you. If not, well, tuck away these promises and draw on them when you need them. Encouragement, strength, and spiritual resources are often given to us by God through prayer. But equally, God may well give us a Jonathan, a true friend in the Lord, to strengthen our hand in God, to remind us of the promises of God. Many of us have reason to thank God for such a friend or friends. I warrant that many of you could stand up and describe such a person. And if you are such a friend to someone, if you are the person given by God to someone to strengthen them by putting their hand in God's hand or sharing promises from the Bible with them or praying for them, That is a privileged vocation. If you should be such a friend to someone and you are not, then be one. Now, what does a true friend in the Lord do? What does a true Jonathan do? They take your hand... And put it in the Lord's hand. Because they know that while they are a true friend to you, there is a truer friend still, the Lord Jesus. 
Now, don't allow any of this to lull you into kind of a, this is a kind of sentimental stuff. It's true. It is true. It really is true. A true friend in the Lord, put your hand into the Lord's hand because they know that you have a truer friend still than them, even though they may be the best of Christian friends, and that is the Lord Jesus. You see it even in a, in a marriage that is very close. In the closest of couples in a marriage, one to the other will put the other's hand into the Lord's hand because it is a truer friend still, even than that, the Lord Jesus. Here's an old and, no, golden oldies, the right way around. Again, a bit sentimental, but it's really true when you think of this. This is what you want your friend to be singing on the way home from church if they have been close to losing heart and you have put their hand into the Lord's hand or perhaps this sermon has. And for those of you who are younger here, you're not going to know these words, but the oldies here like me will. This is what you want them to be singing. What a friend we have in Jesus. Not what a wonderful friend Jonathan is to me. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrows share? There is no human friend who has borne all your sorrows. Jesus knows our every weakness. There is no one in life, not even my wife, in whom I have confided my every weakness. And I'm sure you haven't either. Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Third, the king's renewed strength. What was the impact of Jonathan's visit to David that day? What was the impact on David's life? Now turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm number 54, page 475. So, so what effect did Jonathan coming to David and strengthening his hand in the Lord by reminding him of the promises of God's word, what was the effect on David at this point of uh, proneness to losing heart? Notice the description at the beginning of the psalm. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a mascal, that's just a song of David, when the Ziphites went and told Saul, is not David hiding among us? When did that happen? 1 Samuel 23, verse 19. Then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, is not David hiding among us? That's when David wrote this psalm, just after Jonathan had come to him. 
Read with me in the psalm what David wrote. O God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. O God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth, for strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. That's his fear, his his. That's the reality. He's talking about the the Philistines. He's talking about Saul. He's talking about his own family betraying him. I wonder even in these words, is he saying to God, what on earth are you doing, God? I know there are bitter and sweet providences in life, but I've just had too many bitter ones in a row. And then look what he says. Remember, Jonathan is the the instrument of God's help to him. Behold, God is my helper. Not Jonathan. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies. In your faithfulness put an end to them. With a free will offering I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good, for he has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. The result of Jonathan's visit that day, the result of the strength that God had given him, given by God in his hour of need, the result of what God gave him, behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. Now, I find great comfort from singing sometimes. I don't sing it, but I think it. Behold, Jonathan, my friend, is my helper. Thank God for him. But the greater comfort you will find, and I will find, is when we sing, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. Jonathan had put David's hand in the Lord's hand, and it is the Lord's hand he remembers in the psalm. Now, if an under-shepherd, say elders or ministers in churches are called under-shepherds, that's what the Bible calls us. If an under-shepherd does their job well, that under-shepherd wants you to be singing after they have gone, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Not that under-shepherd is great. The Lord is my shepherd. David was strengthened. David's greater son, the Lord Jesus, was strengthened in the garden as he prayed to his father, His father strengthened him, and Jesus set his face to the cross in obedience to his father's will. And then fourthly, the king's miraculous uh, deliverance. David's strength has been renewed. We've heard that in the psalm. But Saul is still after him. The people of Caleb still betrayed him. The Ziphites, people from his very own tribe, still intent on handing him over to Saul. But David is clear the Lord has delivered him in the past and has judged those who opposed him, and the Lord will do it again. David is not being arrogant or foolhardy. He has just got it. 
He's steady. And I see that in many of your lives. There are periods when we're steady. We've got it. We believe these things. And there are periods where we lose our grip on the confidence we can have in God. All of us do. Now let's see what happened. Verse 24b in 1 Samuel 23. David and his men were in the wilderness of Ma'on in the Arabah to the south of Jeshimon. If you're into films, try and imagine this as a movie. It'd be a great movie, the scene here. Saul and his men went to seek him. David was told, so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness. When Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Ma'on. Saul went on one side of the mountain. Saul goes round the mountain to the left. Think of Arthur's seat, small mountain. Saul goes round one side. David goes round the other side. And they're just about to meet. David's in the jaws of death, literally. I mean, Saul's army is huge. And then just... Out of the blue, a messenger comes to Saul, verse 27, saying, Hurry and come, for the Stilistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul breaks off from pursuing David and goes to the Philistines. Therefore, that place was called the Rock of Escape or the Rock of Divisions. David, verse 29, went up from there and lived in the strongholds of Engedi. Engedi is an oasis on the western shore of the Dead Sea. Momentary respite. Remember, this is just halfway through David's suffering. David, God's chosen king, miraculously delivered from the jaws of death. You shall be king over Israel. David will be king. His kingship will come through suffering. The king must suffer, but he will be crowned. And the Lord Jesus, God's Messiah King, whose life David foreshadowed, was himself miraculously delivered from death. His kingship came through suffering. The King Jesus must suffer, but the King Jesus was crowned. And the Lord Jesus sits today enthroned in glory, death defeated, free access to God for all who believe in him, and a guarantee of everlasting life in a new creation. And so the King David did not lose heart. God's chosen King did not lose heart. And the King Jesus, God's chosen Messiah King, did not lose heart. Therefore, after all of that, we do not lose heart. You see, I could have spent half an hour encouraging us and exhorting us not to lose heart or encouraging us to encourage each other not to lose heart. But the way that you will be strengthened such that you do not lose heart is to know that because the Lord Jesus did not lose heart, therefore you will not lose heart. Whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, we do not lose heart. However discouraged, perplexed, downcast we are, God will strengthen us. And again, let me just come back at that. I think you might be hearing this you will not lose heart. And you think, well, I I am. Let me just cast your mind back to previous experience. You did not lose heart. You did not lose heart. We're still here. 
The words, therefore, we do not lose heart, are from 2 Corinthians 4, when the Apostle Paul is reflecting on the struggles he experiences in his life of ministry. And we can apply these sentiments to all of life as a Christian. David did not lose heart, therefore we do not lose heart. David, a flesh and blood believer in the depths, found a renewed confidence in God, and so can we. David sang this psalm, having his confidence restored in the Lord. And we can sing this psalm like him as a flesh and blood believer. And our confidence can be restored in the Lord. But far richer and far stronger than that is the fact that the Lord Jesus did not lose heart. That he experienced temptation and came through it. That he experienced deep sorrow and came through it. That he experienced suffering and came through it. That he experienced death and came through it. And the profound truth, I guess, is that the person who can sing this psalm with the greatest clarity is the Lord Jesus himself. You see, the Lord Jesus sang every psalm. They're his songs. They're his songs. And when we sing a psalm like Psalm 54, we're not singing in the realm of the experience of another flesh and blood believer as much as we are singing in the realm of the experience of our Savior who came through all these things and who will bring us through all of these things. Drawing on the example of another flesh and blood believer is one thing. Drawing through prayer on the example of the Lord Jesus is another But that's not what Christianity is. It's more than that. It's not drawing on the example of the Lord Jesus. It's drawing on the spirit of the Lord Jesus who lives within us. It's very different. So when you ask the Lord Jesus to help you if you are losing heart, you are asking the spirit of the one who never lost heart within you to do that. Now these are rich and deep things and I encourage you to think on them. My practical encouragement to us all is go and be a Jonathan. Go and put somebody's hand into the Lord's hand. Give them a promise from God's word and let the deep truths of people drawing on the resources of Christ. Come to them as they pray. Let me lead us now as we do that. Our Father, we pray that all of us here who are Christian believers would find our strength and our hope in Jesus. We pray that we would be singing of what a friend we have in him. 
that we would be singing, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I lack nothing. We pray that when we are prone to lose heart, we will remember that the Lord Jesus did not lose heart. And because he lives in us by the Spirit, we will not lose heart because nothing can separate us from your love expressed in Christ. Nothing can separate us from that love. Lord, you have given each other within a church family to point each other to the Lord Jesus, to point each other to the one who gives us strength and help. May this church be full of Jonathan's, people given by God to bless others, to put their hands into the Lord's hand. And Lord, we pray for any here or listening who have lost heart. We pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would take hold of their hand and say to them, Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Help us, Lord, to believe and hold fast that these things are true. And help us to be humble and dependent and expectant that we might experience them more and more. And we ask all these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.